Amen and amen. You can be seated. Thank y'all so much. Man, I just enjoy all that y'all have done and how you sing. And brother, thank you. Thank you, Lenny, for that. And Christy. Chris, you look great with that beard. You rock it better than most people. Uh, not as thick as mine, but you can work on that. Man, Merry Christmas to y'all. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Merry, Merry Christmas. And I'm excited about what the Lord's doing. Now, let me give you a little bit of housekeeping while we're doing some stuff. Um, Thursday night, Christmas Eve at 6 o'clock, we want you to invite as many people as we can. They're cutting the power off to this building because they're running a new power line because they're extending the dining hall. So if you walk out of here and make a left, and the Christian Leadership Building is very nice, uh, we'll be meeting in there at 6 o'clock on Thursday night. So if you go to the front of the building, make a left, that big building on your left, right there you walk in on the first floor, it's very nice. Uh, we'll have a great Christmas Eve. I'm excited, I'll go from about 6 to 650 total and uh, we'll have a great time in the Lord so you have time to be with your family invite people it's a great way for us to spend time together in intimacy with the Lord and what he's going to do and on Sunday morning next Sunday morning if the power is uh, most likely still going to be out we're going to meet there next Sunday morning as well so it's going to be great so Thursday night at six we'll be in the Christian leadership building Right there at the bottom floor, you walk in, we'll have people out there directing you, and Sunday morning as well, and then we'll be back in there after this, uh, those two times. But so, uh, again, really excited what the Lord's doing. I want you to invite people. It's a great opportunity. People will come. Your families will come. Bring them so they can experience the Lord and what the Lord's doing. Now, with that being said, since we're into this image of what it looks like for the Lord to be risen, Jesus, we see him as the lion of the tribe of Judah. We don't see him as just this a crucified Savior on a cross. But with that being said, I want us to look at something today and kind of jump into that. Have you ever been in a place where nobody can help you but Jesus? You ever been to that place? That's a, that's a scary place. That's a scary place. I'm telling you, there's, I, I, I've been on a, 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 I just was with a person on a phone call backstage and uh, then the person called me back, and, and, I tried, and I saw it. It came up on my phone. I didn't hear it, obviously, because it was on silent. So I called them back. They didn't answer. But they are in a place where nobody can help them but Jesus. Nobody. And a lot of you in this room know that person. Where only Jesus can help. Some of you might have been in this place, maybe before you even got married, whatever else, when you were single and you thought, you know what, I just can't find the right person. Oh, nobody can help me but Jesus. Now, sometimes we try to take things under our own initiative and selves and we try to find who we want, how we want them, and we just get a person. And this is what I see as a pastor. Then people get married and they try to make the person into the person they wanted them to be. But let me just give you, for those that are single in the room, you can't make anybody what you want them to be. Only Jesus can. Because what's going to happen, it's going to be a really hard life or you'll just end up just going separate ways. Because that person can't become what only Jesus can become for us. So Matthew, in the book of Matthew, we see where Joseph was in that place. Joseph was in a place where nobody could help him but God the Father. His engaged wife, Mary, the mother of Jesus, is pregnant. And he is, he is not able to understand how does that happen. What do I do with that concept? She's pregnant. Logic says she had to have cheated on me. 
But because I don't want to embarrass her and that I truly love her and that I'm heartbroken, what I'm going to do, because the Bible says he was a righteous man, that means his heart intent was pure. He says, I'm just going to put her away quietly. I'm not going to let anybody else know. I'm just going to quietly divorce her so there's no shame on her and we'll just go our separate ways. We'll agree to disagree and we'll move forward. Then all of a sudden, an angel shows up and says, you know what, Joseph, that's not the case. What you reasoned in your mind was not what God was doing. You thought she cheated. She is carrying the Messiah. There has to be a virgin birth. You know the scriptures in Isaiah. You know the promises. You know the over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament all correlating and answered in Jesus Christ. You know those things. It has to be this way. You just didn't believe it would happen to you. There's only sometimes we get in a place where only God can help us. And that's why I love Summit. Because most of you live on that edge of faith where if God doesn't show up, you know what? We're not going to make it. We're not going to make it unless God shows up. And so the Lord gave me some great stuff. I, um, Brandy, if you could throw that picture up there. I, I love Brandy. She's been so sweet. That's the picture of, to me, is of what Jesus, now I'm not saying Jesus is, is a physical lion. What I'm saying is you see in his eye, you see the manger, you see the Christmas story in the eyes of the lion, but he's not a baby in a manger anymore. And aren't we grateful for that? The God that we serve is not some frail human who is bound by the natural laws of man and cannot do anything and powerless. He is a resurrected Savior ready to do what God has asked us to do uh, through Him. So what I want you to see today is that's, that's the idea of Christmas. Every present you open, every present that you give, Every present that is around you, everything is in celebration, all pointing to Jesus. There are no celebrations like that in, in other false religions because they can't celebrate something that, that they have to work for. You can only celebrate something that was given. And that's what happened. So this lion of the tribe of Judah... Our Messiah, God called him to a specific place at a specific time to do his will. And so here's the practicality today. God is calling you and I to a specific place at a specific time to do his will. But here's the, here's the deal. Only God can help us. 1 Samuel, watch this. 1 Samuel, this is, where it gets, this is where I get excited. And so if I get a little wild, just y'all, y'all get wild with me, right? We all agree that, that, that I've got a loose wire, so y'all just give me grace in that, right? 1 Samuel, chapter 6. So it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, woohoo, yeah! 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel, chapter 6. Now you're going, John, how, what has this got to do with the Christmas story? Well, actually, I want to go in 1 Samuel 7. 12 and 13. Samuel, Judges ends, and, 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 and there's, there's these judges over, earth, uh, over the tribe of Israel, and we have the story of, of Ruth, and there's Kim to Redeemer, and then we get into Samuel. Samuel was a prophet and a priest. He was not a king. Saul is going to become a king, but he's this prophet. And so what happens in Samuel, this is the beauty of the story, is that everybody looked to Samuel because he was like the real godly leader that they longed for. 
The priest, the high priest that was uh, there before Samuel, his sons went wild. They were, they were uh, doing all kinds of sins. And God says, you know what? Your, your family line's going to die. But Samuel was righteous. And he stood up. Now, Samuel does something amazing here. 1 Samuel chapter 7, there's going to be a battle between the Philistines and Israel. And God is going to win that battle, obviously. And then Samuel does a response. Look at verse 12. Afterwards, Samuel took a stone and set it upright between Mitzvah and Shin. He named it what, saints? Woo! Now there's a hymn. Here I raise my Ebenezer. There, Ebenezer is an interesting. Look at this. He takes the stone. Afterward, Samuel took a stone and set it upright between Mitzvah and Shin. He named it Ebenezer, explaining, The Lord has helped us to this point. God is going to put you and I in places where we need His help. And there are great mile markers, spiritual mile markers, that we should have in our lives. These Ebenezers, where God has come through, saved the day, and He has been our help in a time of trouble. Ebenezer literally means stone of help. Say help. The stone of help. I want you to look at this. It's a memorial, as, 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 as one lexicon would say, that is a fancy word for a, a, a dictionary. The memorial stone erected by Samuel Tamar where God helped Israel defeat the Philistines. This is a memorial stone. God is going to place you and I, every one of us, in a place. Now watch this history. So Samuel, Samuel is the, the kind of this up-and-coming, rising priest that everybody's looking to, but the old older priest who kind of raised Samuel. You'll maybe remember the story. He had a mother named Hannah and she couldn't get pregnant. And every year she would come to the sacrifice and she would bend down and she would pray. And so one one day the priest looks at her and her mouth is moving but no words are coming forward. And he's like, you're drunk. And he looks at Hannah and he's like, man, come on. Like, you shouldn't be drunk. She goes, I'm not drunk. I'm pouring out my heart to the Lord. I don't have a child. He said, may the Lord be with you and give you a child. Well, she goes home she gets pregnant. She couldn't have a child. Gets pregnant. She says, I'm a de-. she dedicates the child to the Lord. After she weans him, brings him back, gives him to the high priest. That child's name is Samuel. And so, but Eli not being taking care of his son's sins, and, and God showed uh, uh, Samuel in a dream that his sons were not living right, and actually met with Samuel. And then all of a sudden, you get to see Samuel rising. But the ark was with the priest. But they went into battle against the Philistines, and all of a sudden, the, 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 the ark is going to be captured. Watch this in chapter 4, verse 1. This is where it gets good. Verse 1 of chapter 4. And Samuel's words came to all Israel. Now we're starting to see Samuel become this rising star prophet and priest. But he's not king, because there can only one, only one prophet, priest, and king, and that's Jesus. Israel went out to meet the Philistines in battle and camped at, what's the word? Oh, this is interesting. So they camp at Ebenezer, this is where I get excited, while the Philistines camped at Aphek. Aphek 
is a Hebrew word which means enclosure. It means to restrain. So over here, Israel camped at a place that said, The Lord is my helper. Stone of help. Rock of help. Back in Exodus, the Lord is my rock, right? They're singing these songs. Don't you love when Jesus is the, I mean, the, God is the rock. Jesus says, he talks about the, the rock, and he says, you know, upon this rock, meaning the message of Christ, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And there's all these beautiful pictures in Greek. Peter, which means little stone, and when he says rock, meaning big stone, he's taking Peter, part of this big message, and there's going to be this great church being built, and not even the gates of hell can prevail against the rock. Then Jesus goes on to say, better you fall on the rock and be broken than the rock fall on you and be what? Crushed. See, that's why I'm telling you, there's this imagery in Revelation where it physically it's going to happen, where all the people that were talking bad about the Lord and saying stuff and not living right, what's going to happen is those, those people, God is storing up wrath. What's happening to the person that rapes the three-year-old who is not going to ever bow the knee and not repent and not feel sorry and be repentant and want to change? God is storing up wrath for those people that are beheading the Christians. God is storing up wrath and they will call for the rocks to crush their heads. Better to fall on the rock and be broken than the rock and fall on you and be crushed. So here they're at a place called enclosure, restrain. The Philistines, look at the picture. There's a place of restraining. Isn't that what the enemy does to us? He restrains us. But over here are the Philistines of the Israelites at a place of help. But look what happens. You're going to read what happens. This is interesting. Basically, they're going to go into battle and they're going to capture the ark. The ark of the covenant. They're going to capture it. Here it is, their memorial with the Ten Commandments in there. Aaron's rod that's budded, the jar man. They're going, to, it's going to be captured. It's going to be taken away. Look at the journey of the ark. When they weren't following the Lord, the Israelites, they went from a place where God was their help to a place of restraint. Verse, chapter 5, verse 1. After the Philistines had captured the ark of God, they took it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. They took it from a place of help to Ashdod. Ashdod means in Hebrew, powerful. Now watch this. This is where whoo, this is where the story gets real good, family. It gets real good. So now, now, just when, 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 when we think that God can't help us, we're trapped by the enemy. We're under the power of the enemy. We're under the power of the enemy. The ark is now in a place that's called powerful because the Philistines are going, look, your God is too weak. He can't be your help. We've captured who was your strength, and we've set him under the place that we call powerful. And in that place, they had a God called Dagon, a false God. Check this out in verse 2. Woo! This is so good. This is like better than soap opera language. You know what I'm talking about? This is better than General Hospital. All right, verse 2. Brought it into, so they took the ark, verse 2, and brought it into the temple of Dagon. And placed it next to his statue. In other words, the rock of help for the Israelites is bowing to the stone statue Dagon in a place called Powerful. Notice the imagery. And then it gets even better. 
and placed it next to a statue. Verse 3. When the people of Ashdod got up early the next morning, there was Dagon fallen with his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. And in a place that was the most powerful place for the Philistines was a place where that false god bowed his face to the king. I'm building a case here, family. God is going to send you and I to wicked places where the only one that can save us and rescue us and redeem us is Jesus. But when we stand with the Lord, even the most powerful image in the wicked place will bow to the King of Kings. Watch, I don't want to get ahead of myself. I get a little crazy. You know what? That's it. That's it. Coat's going off. I can't take it no longer. You know what's getting ready? We're getting ready to have some serious preaching. I'm just going to tell you all that right now. When the coat comes off, whoo! That means the sweat is building up. All right, so just get an image, people. Image. So now, so they took Dagon and returned him to his place. Let's set him back up, people. It must have happened by accident. The little Christians got ahead. You know, Christians are weak, right? Jesus is just your crutch. Jesus is just all right. No, I don't even know what I'm talking about. Y'all don't, the older people in the room just lit up like a Christmas tree. Oh, oh, next thing you know, he's going to start singing, whoa, trying to grow, but never mind. All right, so y'all don't even know what I'm talking about. Just YouTube it. You'll be all right. Verse four, but when they got up early the next morning, there was Dagon falling with his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. Now again, he has fallen down at a place called powerful. The power of the enemy has now bowed the knee to the one who was a, supposed to be a servant. The ark. It was there to serve as a reminder to the powerful God of Dagon. Yet the powerful God of Dagon is bowing to the one who is a servant. Jesus came as a suffering whale. Here we go. When they got up there early next morning, there was Dagon falling with his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. This time, woo, both Dagon's head, somebody headless. This time, both Dagon's head and the palms of his hand were broken off and lying on the threshold. Only Dagon's torso remained. Listen, God is so good, he cuts off the head of the enemy so he can't think, and he cuts off the head of the, and the hands of the enemy so he can't work. That is why this, to this day, the priests of Dagon and everyone who enters the temple of Dagon and Ashdod do not step on Dagon's threshold. Step on a crack, break your mama's I don't care. I step on cracks. And black cats don't scare me. And broken mirrors don't scare me. And you can take all your little wicked imagery all you want. And go ahead and curse me. And I will say keep on cursing. Because if you keep cursing me, the Bible says blessed are you when people... Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. People are blessed are you when people curse you. So the more you curse me, the more blessings I get. So bring them on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Talking to myself, you know it's getting good. See, that's what happens. That's the story. There's all these little 
micro stories for the macro story that God wants you to share. So when you go to your school and you go back to your school, you don't have to bow the knee to whoever's cool because the one who's cool is going to bow the knee to the one who is. So you walk with your head up high in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death because there is a God who reigns. He reigns when it looks like everything else is done. And here's what I know. Hmm, somebody, I just want to let you in on something. Oh, Lord, help me. It's a fire. Because here's what's happening. I want you to see what's going to happen. Chapter 6. Now, I'm getting ahead of my, let's go. Well, wait a minute. Let me say in chapter 5, verses uh, 6 through 9. The Lord's hand was heavy on the people of Ashdod. Now, here's what's happening. Here's how it works in the kingdom of God. I told you how the kingdom of God works. If you're faithful over little, you'll be faithful over what? So this is how it works in the kingdom of God. You always start small, family. Now, in the world's eyes, go bigger. But that's not the way the Lord works. The Lord works, you start small. You start disciplining yourself. Then you start discipling yourself. Then you start discipling others. And all of a sudden, it continues to grow and grow. And next thing you know, you wake up, and the ministry can only be done and be as big as it is because God's done it. And then the people that won't, don't want to do a ministry, what God says, all right, since you've been faithful over here to do a ministry, I'm going to give you another ministry. Because of the one who has and doesn't do, he's going to take from that one and give it to the one who has. Go back and read the parable of the talents. The one who buried it, he took that one and gave it to the one with ten, somebody. So now, here's how it works spiritual in God's kingdom. When God begins to stir up the spirit, next thing you know, he begins to stir up the natural. Ooh, Mufasa. He begins, he begins to stir up the natural. Watch, watch. Right now in the spiritual world, Dagon is already bowing. I said, God says, I'm done. Boom, I'm done. I don't need man to fight for me. I don't need anybody else to fight for me. I can fight for myself. Boom, shakalaka, I'm done. So now, it's in scripture somewhere. The Lord's hand was heavy on the people of Ashdod. Now it's breaking out to the natural. Now God says, that's it. I'm punishing your God. Now I'm going to punish you. Oh, do you smell what God's cooking? The Lord's hand was heavy on the, uh, on the people of Ashdod, terrorizing and afflicting the people of Ashdod and its territory with tumors. I'm not talking zits, people. That was funny. I'm talking tumors. When the men of Ashdod saw what was happening, they said, the ark of Israel's God must not stay here with us because his hand is strongly against us and our God, Dagon. People are blinded by the little God of this age, the New Testament says. That's why they keep going back to the one who's defeated. They keep going back to the devil. They keep going back to their lies. Because by somehow, some way, they would rather stay in a lie than live in the truth. Because the enemy is blinding them. And that's why they break up with you and they don't know a good thing when they got it. And that's why you don't get ahead in your job when your boss doesn't know a good thing when he's got it. And that's why sometimes things happen, bad things happen to good people. But there's a day when no more bad things will happen because the one who's the creator of the bad things will be thrown into the eternal lake of fire. Burn, baby, burn. Disco inferno. I thought y'all might enjoy that. After they had moved it, the Lord's hand was against the city of Gath, causing a great panic. He afflicted the men of the city from the youngest to the oldest 
with an outbreak of tumors. So they move the ark. They move the presence of God into another place. And God says, hmm, I'm going to afflict you now. And so he starts afflicting the people. He's afflicting the people, reminding them that he doesn't man to do his work. God can do his work. Thank you very much. God has a big sign up that says no help wanted. But yet, because of his great love for us, he chooses to allow us to be a part of that. Now let's keep going. Go to verses 11 and 12. The Ekronites called all the Philistine rulers together. They said, send the ark of Israel's, God's away, God, uh, Israel's God away. It must return to its place so it won't kill us and our people. Listen. The Lord is going to send us to a specific place at a specific time where only He can give us the help. Only He can be the rock when nobody else can. The wife, the spouse, the children, the job, the money, the career, the retirement. Nobody can be a rock. Listen, there's an old song people used to sing back in the day when they didn't have anything but just Jesus. And they used to sing, Nobody can do me like Jesus. That used to be sung in them old country churches. And you'd see those old country people, they didn't have anything. They had nothing. But what they did have is they had great faith. And I want to tell you something. It was because of their great faith. And listen, let me just break it down for you, family. And I've already shared this with you, but let me share it. People say, well, what about all them years and people suffered in slavery? And I'm going to tell you what, everybody is going to pay. The people that suffer those people are paying in hell right now that they didn't bow the knee. And I want to tell you something. Hell is a bad place. The more I study about it, the more I'm scared of it. But I'm going to tell you this. There were some faithful poor slaves that stayed true to the Lord and the land that nobody wanted that they got right now you got rich people paying millions of dollars to poor people in Mount Pleasant millions of dollars for acres and it's not because of anything else but the goodness of the Lord that God said one day the people will pay And people are paying because they don't want to run to the Lord. So the Ekronites said, send send the ark of Israel's God away. It must return to its place so it won't kill us and our people. For the fear of death pervaded the city. You know when God moves, people get scared. People get scared. Hey, you ate. Listen, go back through. Look at Judges. Look again. Whenever God was getting ready to fight somebody, when he was using the Israelites, Fear struck the heart of people. Panic struck the heart of people. Whenever the people of God rose up under the power of God, then the power of God rose up amidst the sin, uh, sinful people of, of God. God's hand was oppressing them. Verse 12. The men who did not die were afflicted with tumors, and the outcry of the city went up to heaven. Go to 1 Samuel chapter uh, uh, 6. 1 Samuel chapter 6, 4 through 6. 1 Samuel chapter 6, 4 through 6. They asked, what restitution offering should we send back to him? And they answered. So they're going to get the ark together and they're going to send the ark back to Israel. And they said, what are we going to do? Well, we've got to get rid of this ark. We've got to get rid of the presence. 
we got to get rid of the presence of God because His presence is, is indicting us of our sin. And since we won't repent of our sin, we're going to have to live with the consequences. Mm, somebody. If we don't repent of our sin, then you have to live with the consequences of the sin. If you repent of sin, you only get the discipline of the Lord. But if you don't repent of sin, you get the consequences of sin. I want you to think about that. And Jesus came to eradicate all the consequences for the wages of sin is what? He came to wipe it all away. Sins as far as the east is from the west. There's no more consequences. We don't have to continually beat each other up once we've forgiven each other. Mm-hmm. And they answered, uh, they, they said, what restitution offering should we send back to him? And they answered, five gold tumors and five gold mice corresponding to the number of the Philistine rulers. Since there was one plague for both you and your rulers. I mean, some scholars say that was bubonic plague that struck them as well as the tumors. Anyway, God was just absolutely bringing discipline on these people, getting them to turn to look to him, but they would refuse not. All they wanted to do was send God away. Look at verses 11 and 12. Then they put the ark of the Lord on a cart along with the box containing the gold mice and the images of their tumors. The cows went straight up to the, the, straight up the road to Beth Shemesh. They stayed on that one highway lowing as they went. So the, the cows, the milking cows were lowing, making noises. They were making noise. They were saying, here comes God. Here comes the presence of God in only the way that cows can make. And yet that was a sign from God. Listen, if a cow can be used, how much more can we? Cows were created, they were good. When we were created, it was, mm-hmm. They never strayed to the right or to the left. The Philistine rulers were walking behind them to the territory of Beth. Beth means house, Shemesh. So now you get to see what happens. Now they come and they see all Israelites rejoicing. They get back. They get back the ark. They're rejoicing. They take the cows. They, they, they take the wood around them. They build a, a place there, an altar. They slaughter the cows. They have an offering to the Lord. I mean, and then now all of a sudden, the people start repenting. They start trying to get right with God. They take away all their false gods. And now they're repenting and they're worshiping the Lord. And all of a sudden, now when you start worshiping God, guess what happens in chapter 7? Then the Philistines rose up and wanted to fight against them. It's amazing when God sends you to a place, the more you become solely just for the Lord, the more you encounter the wiles of the devil. I'll show you. Uh, sorry, sorry for this. Brandy, um, you've been so kind. She just, she knows I'm all over the place. First Samuel chapter 7, verse 3. I'm adding this. Look there with me. Samuel told them, if you are turning to the Lord with all your heart, get rid of the foreign gods and the asterisks, those were those phallic symbol poles that are among you. Dedicate yourselves to the Lord and worship him only. Then he will rescue you from the hand of the Philistines. Dagon, that Dagon God was the God of the storm. He was the God of grain, right? He was the, he was the God of the fields. He was the one who provided and he was the one who took care of them. And yet that false God would bow in front of the real God who is the only helper. And so Samuel says to the people of God, get rid of everything that's not of him. Get rid of all your false gods. Go only after the Lord. 
Get rid of the foreign gods and the asterisks that are among you. Dedicate yourselves to the Lord and worship him only. Then he will rescue you from the hand of the Philistines. So the Israelites removed the bells and the asterisks and only worship the Lord. Now look at the context the Lord showed me. When you're only worshiping the Lord, you will come in conflict with man. The more you and I make Christmas about Jesus... The more you and I make Christmas about Jesus, the more people will come against us. And do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. It'll probably come from your family. Because they won't understand why the emphasis, why you get the family together on Christmas Eve and why if you're physically able, you get down on your knees and you pray. Why you read the Christmas story. Why you focus on the Lord. Why you say at the end, the most important thing is not the present that we receive, but the presence we receive that ce presence verse 5 samuel said gather all israel uh at mitzvah and we'll pray the lord i will pray the lord on your behalf when they gathered at mitzvah they drew water and poured it out in the lord's presence they fasted that day and there they confessed we have sinned against the lord and samuel judged the israelites at mitzvah when the philistines heard that the israelites had gathered to worship When the Philistines heard that some had gathered for worship, look what happens next. Their rulers marched up toward Israel. Go ahead and get involved in the corporate body of God. Because when you get involved in the corporate body, you also enter into the fight of the corporate body. When the Israelites heard about it, they were afraid because the Philistines. Verse 8, the Israelites said to Samuel, don't stop crying out to the Lord our God for us so that he will save us from the hand of the Philistines. So guess what they did? Instead of going out and fighting the Philistines, they started worshiping the God over the Philistines. When somebody comes against you and I, guess what, saints? You know what we do? We come and we pray together. We cut now. Are there time? Oh, we still have to go do what we have to do in the natural? Yes. But when we do things in the supernatural, then God acts in the super over the natural as we act in the natural. So we corporately pray. That's why we have invitation. Because you never know. Well, you never know that God might be helping you. You on this side might need something that this person on this side has. Our help is coming. Our help is coming. Because God is going to send us to a place where only he can help us. Nobody else can. Oh, other people can go with us, but they can't answer the call that God has for us. So look what happens there. Verse 9. Then Samuel took a young lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on behalf of Israel, and the Lord answered him. Samuel was offering the burnt offering as the Philistines drew near to fight against Israel. The Lord thundered loudly. Remember Dagon, the god of the storm? The Lord thundered loudly against the Philistines that day and threw them into such confusion that they fled before Israel. The men of Israel charged out of Mitzvah and pursued the Philistines, striking them down all the way to a place called Bethkar. They, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, here we go. Afterward, Samuel took a stone and set it upright between Mitzvah and Shin. He named it what? Woo! 
Here's what the Lord showed me. You want to know why sometimes our enemies keep coming back? Because when our God rises up against them and they flee, we don't take the place where they once stole. When your enemy flees, it's your job to get the promotion. Y'all didn't hear me. When God fights for you and your enemy flees, then you go to the ground that they ran from and you take it for the Lord. The Lord just showed me that. That was free. Are y'all tracking me? Are you tracking me? Go. When that person leaves and they run and that position opens, take it. Apply for it. The reason why sometimes we get filled with the, back with another boss who hates God is because we didn't step up to the place that God gave us. You say, God, John, what is God saying? I'll make it very clear to you. If somebody in this room is against you and God moves them out, you move up. And if you don't move up, then quit whining while that person got, allows somebody else to move in that took a spot that was yours. That's what the Lord just showed me. That's what God is saying to us. Now, let me show you this. Robbie, I need you to come play because I need something. I get really excited. So here's what's happening. So God became for us an Ebenezer. Uh, Ebenezer means a stone. It's a, it's a natural stone. What did Jesus do? And the Word became flesh in John 1.14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he, he called, here, here he was the, the stone that the builders rejected. Somebody has become the key, chief cornerstone. I mean, the stone that the builders rejected. Here's what's happening. Jesus became the stone for us so we don't have to be the stone. And we can't be. That word Ebenezer there, if you break it down, that word stone of help, it's a compound word. It means stone and to help. And the word help means to protect and restrain. And what did Jesus do? While we were still sinners, he died for us. He restrains the enemy. He protects us from the evil one. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those what? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us, and this is what it actually says in the Greek, deliver us from the evil one. So God is going to send you to a place that is full of sin. And how do I show it to you? Robbie and I, we met on this this week, and this is where I think it's going to be powerful. God establishes a domain, that is a geography, over which humans are to realize their humanity, as, as Stephen Dempster would say, and it's in this place, and it's in this specific place that God is going to call us and rescue us and show his glory. That's the gospel. The gospel is he continually rescues us daily, not just from our sins, not just from hell, not just from our unrighteousness, but he rescues us daily. God will be for you and I what we cannot be for ourselves. Our very present help in time of trouble. Watch this. And I said this uh, two weeks ago. Genesis chapter 1, 26 through 28. Let's turn there. That's real easy to find or on your phone. And by the way, the note should be uh, online at Summit, um, Charles, at Summit Church on Facebook. Genesis 1, 26 through 28. You remember this. And I'm just going to fly through this. Then God said, let us make man and our what? So God made man in an image. 
He made us in his image. And that image is shadow. Remember when you talked about that in your paper, right, Robbie? Shadow. So where we go, we cast the shadow of the Lord. We don't cast our image. We don't cast what we want to do, uh, another image of somebody else or a great athlete. Listen, we got to cast Jesus' image. So here today, we're going to cast Jesus' image. God is calling us to a place, to a team, to a school, to a job, to a family, to a relationship, whatever it might be, to a place that we're going to cast his image. He's going to put us there. Genesis 2.8. Remember I taught you this. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he placed man. He placed the man he had formed. Adam wasn't created in the Garden of Eden. He was placed there. God calls you and I to a specific place at a specific time. And what is the purpose of that place? Look at verse 15. What did he tell Adam? He said, when God calls you and I to a place, God called me to pastor summit. So he called me and placed me at summit. Look what it says there in 15. He placed him in the Garden of Eden to what, saints? To work it and to what? Yeah, to work means to cultivate. It's not, work is not a, not a bad thing. It means to cultivate. It means to make things better. I, God should use me to make summit better, to make better. What we do corporately to better. And he says to watch over it. Watch over it means to protect. God is going to call you to a geography with people within that that you're going to have to protect. He's to watch over it and to protect it. Well, he doesn't do that, right? He doesn't do that because in, in Genesis 3, he doesn't protect. The serpent starts speaking the truth instead of God who spoke the truth. Is everybody tracking me? And then what happens? He started moving away from the Lord. Now, I don't know where the Garden of Eden is. Everybody debates, is it in Iraq? Let's say Iraq's over here. Let's just kind of get a geography picture. Over here in Iraq, okay, modern-day Iraq, Kuwait, or you're over here towards the Mediterranean Sea, which is what we call modern-day Israel, and in that Palestine area, Egypt's down here, right? Turkey's up here. There's the Mediterranean Sea. So some people say it's over here. Some people say it's there, but watch this. Now, because of sin, what did they do? At the end of Genesis 3, look at Genesis 3, 24. He drove man out and stationed the carabine and the flaming whirling sword east of the Garden of Eden to guard the way to the Tree of Life. So now, let's just say it's over here next to the Mediterranean. Uh, now, people began to move east. And it wasn't far east in chapter 4. It seems to me that Cain is right outside of the Garden of Eden, outside of the presence of God, where God would walk with him in the cool of the day, casting a shadow. It seems right here in this part of the east that there's a murder. Genesis chapter 4. Verse 16, then Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod. Where does it say? East of Eden. So now we get people moving this way, 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 moving east. But then because this place becomes a place of cursing, People began to just move further and further away from God. And then God does something miraculous. And all over here in Genesis 11, then it gets to 12, near the, t near the Tower of Babel, which is modern-day Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq, God calls Abram and his wife Sarah, and he says, I want you to go back to this land over here, to the land of Canaan. I want you to go to a place that is cursed, 
and I want you to be a blessing. And those who bless you will be what? Blessed. And those who curse you will be what? Yeah, so over here, you're going to go to a place that's cursed, and you're going to be the blessing. God is calling you and I to a place. Oh, if I had some time this morning to show you. Watch this. Genesis chapter 9. I'm going to just show you quickly. I'm going to show you how that place, the land of Canaan, got cursed. Skip forward a couple chapters. We go into Noah, and you know what happens to Noah. Noah built an ark, right? And Noah then, uh, once, the, once the waters were side on Mount Ararat, which is up here, modern-day Turkey, uh, you, they even have seashells there at the top. It's pretty interesting. And so what happens, the people are going to migrate, and they're going to move, and they're moving eastward. Now guess what? He has three sons, and if you look at these sons, th- uh, something happens. Shem, Japheth, and Ham. Three sons. Noah gets drunk, party people. Is anybody with me? He's drunk. He's lying there nude. His one son, Ham, walks in and sees his nudity. Now check this out. He sees his nudity. Obviously something happens with that. Obviously something in that concept. That was the nudity represented shame. Remember what did Adam and Eve do? What did they, they, cover, they realized they were naked and they covered themselves with they covered themselves to cover up their shame because that was supposed to represent the sin. That was supposed to right that, 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 that shamefulness. But what happens is Ham is going to have some sons. One of his sons is called Canaan. Look at this in chapter 9. Chapter 9, verse 24, when Noah awoke, awoke from his drinking and learned that his youngest son, that is Ham, uh, had done to him, he said, Canaan, talking about his grandson, will be cursed. He will be the lowest of the slaves to his brothers. Now here's what's interesting. In the land of Canaan, at the bottom, we have Sodom and Gomorrah. What was Ham's sin? Ham's sin was that he saw his father's nudity. It was perversion. Sex is good. Perverted sex is sin. Sex is not bad, family. Sex is good. But perverted sex is bad. So what happens, this perversion of sex, the sin that Ham did, is going to affect his, his son, Canaan, so bad that this area is going to be perverted with sex. That's why God said, when you go back, don't marry anybody from that area. Why? Because cult prostitution was so bad. If they would have slept with somebody here, STDs would have killed them. Ask Jeremy Pollock. He'll tell you about that because we were talking about this in this passage a long, long time ago and talking about how some of the scholars were talking about that they were uh, filled with sexually transmitted diseases. Sodom and Gomorrah. So God is taking a man of God into a wicked place, and he says, look, you're going to be my presence. So Abram was his name, but God changes his name to what? What did he change his name to? The name for God in Genesis 3. Moses said, who, who, who should I say sent me? Yahweh. I am that I am. So Yahweh, Y-H-W-H. What does he do? He takes the H out of his name and puts it into Abram, and it makes it Abraham. He takes the other H out of his name Yahweh and puts it into Sarah, and she goes from S-A-R-A-I to S-A-R-A. Presence of God in him, in a place. And so, Robbie, this is where we landed. 
Christmas, Lord willing, will be here Friday. And the joy of Christmas is that when we could not rescue ourselves, come on, somebody did. And his name is Jesus. And he who is righteous came to a place called earth that was unrighteous. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one, Scripture says. And yet, perfection from heaven, the very word and wisdom of God, took on a lowly form in Philippians chapter 2 and humbled himself and emptied himself and emptied himself into the form of a man. And he came to a wicked place so that righteousness and the presence of God could be seen and felt and lived. And so God is calling you and I to a place to cast his shadow, the image of God. He's calling you at your school to cast a shadow. And if all you're trying to do is cast your shadow because you want to look cool, here's what I want to tell you. You will live, if you love the Lord, to regret that. Because what you've done, you've wasted an opportunity. And here's what I'll say this. Don't worry. God is big and God is good and God is tough. If you won't do it, he'll raise somebody else up who will. And he'll use the most unlikely. He'll use the one that everybody makes fun of. When somebody says, not ashamed to carry their Bible around and not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus, guess what? God will bring that person. And he'll use that person. Because God's not a respect of what people look on the outside. He's a respect of the people that look what something for him on the inside. That's the way God will do it. God is calling us. When he changes this geography, ourselves, then he changes our families. And guess what? I'm not saying they bow the knee and get saved. Some of them will curse you. Some of them, hey, Jesus said, I've come, to, I've come. I was reading it today in Luke chapter 12. I've come to take father, make father against son, and son against father, and mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, and, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law, and mother-in-law against, you know, daughter-in-law, and son-in-law, and all this stuff. Because guess what? The gospel is offensive, but we don't have to be, Alvin Reed said. It's offensive to tell people they're in sin. But we don't have to be offensive about it the way we say it. But God is going to call us to a place of unrighteousness. Robbie, and that's why he's calling you to lead us into this as you play prophetically and change the atmosphere that's pushing out the little God of this age, the little prince of this air, as you begin to play and sing, what happens is God wants to be our rescue and our help, just like he did in, in Galatians chapter 3. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Jesus came into a geography in a location and became for us what we could not do for ourselves. God is going to send us to love people and give them grace and mercy and be the peace and be the fruit of the Spirit all around them because they can't do it because their spirit is dead. But God who is alive within us is going to do it within us. And then we will see redemption take place. Look at verse 14. That is, Jesus redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. By faith we can receive his presence. So we are to go to a place and to cast his presence. So if you've got to go home and you're dreading it, I don't think you're having to go home. I think you're being sent home. I, I don't think you're having to be at a job where people are crazy. I think God is sending us to a place where people are against him. And that is also that we can show the power of the Lord. Remember, when God starts showing himself spiritually, there's always going to be a battle physically. 
But if he wins the battle spiritually, he's already won it physically. He wants to be our help. So I end with this. Psalm 54, 4 says this. God is my helper. The Lord is the sustainer of my life. Colossians 1, 17. In him he holds all things together. Do you need God's help? He's offered. Lord, I pray today that you would sustain us right now. I don't know who in this room who needs for you to sustain them, for you to help them in a situation. It could be help with wisdom. It could be help with discernment. It could be help with an answer or or finances or a job decision. Maybe there's some of us in this room today that want to come and intercede for others. And Lord... There's someone right now who is our brother in Christ that goes to this church who is not here today, who talked to me on the phone, who needs help. And maybe some of the leaders in this church, maybe some other people want to come and pray for this person. And they might just say, Lord, I don't know who it is, but they need you to show up in a powerful way. Lord, who in here needs your help? The Lord, I love this, my eyes look unto the hills, Psalm 121. My eyes look unto the hills, from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. And the way we look to you today is we bow our knees and we just ask for help. We just ask for help. It could be for a family member. It could be for someone that's hurting could be for direction. Whatever it is, you're willing to help us. And Lord, I pray there's somebody in this room today who's not right with Jesus. And they know they're not right. You have offered your help to them. You are reaching out your arms, extending your arm, your powerful arm, in showing Jesus and saying, I love you. I am for you. I'll help you. Will you come to me? Will you come? I pray, Lord, that they'll come right now and kneel if they're physically able right now. Say, Lord, save me. I can't save myself. Save me. Thank you for being the curse for us, Jesus. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for helping us. You will answer. We love you.